All right, well, we're there in Genesis chapter number 13. And if you remember from last week, we've been working our way through the life of Abraham, and we're going to be going through the entire life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you remember last week in chapter number 12, Abraham began to uh, be pretty selfish and self-centered. And in fact, he, he began to make decisions that were based solely on what was good for him. And he goes down into Egypt, and we saw last week that Egypt is always a picture of the world. Egypt is always a picture. You always go down into Egypt. You're in bondage in Egypt. It's a bad place in Egypt. And Abraham went down into Egypt, into the world, and got backslidden. And he started lying, and he started doing things that were not honorable. Now, here in chapter number 13, Abraham, if you look at verse number 1 there, says, And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him in the south. Abraham learned his lesson in chapter 12, and he's getting right with God now. And I want to share with you just real quickly, because I know we got cake and ice cream, and we want to spend some time fellowshipping tonight, but I want to give you three lessons from this chapter in regards to Abraham getting right with God and the steps that he took coming out of Egypt. And there's two main characters in this chapter and in the next several chapters. We have Abraham and we have Lot. We're going to deal with both. We're going to deal with Abraham first, and next week we'll be in chapter 13 again, and we won't cover the life of Abraham or the verses in regards to Abraham. We'll be looking specifically at Lot and the role that he plays in this, in this chapter. But I'd like you to notice uh, there in verse number 2, the Bible says, And Abraham was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold, and went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel. Now, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, if you've got a pen and you like to take notes in your Bible, I'd like you to underline uh, uh, this phrase in, in, in verse number 3. It says that he went down from the south even to Bethel. Notice what it says there, unto the place where he had been at the beginning. I'd like you to underline that phrase, where he had been at the beginning. The first thing I'd like you to notice from this chapter in regards to Abraham coming out of Egypt, Abraham getting right with God, is this. Abraham returned to the place where he used to be. And here's what's interesting about it. If you're there in chapter 13, go back to chapter 12 and look at verse number 8 real quickly. Genesis chapter number 12 and verse 8, the Bible says, And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having, notice, Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Now in verse 9, the Bible says, And Abraham journeyed going on still toward the south, and there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down into Egypt. I want you to notice exactly where Abraham was before he decided to kind of quit on God and forget about what God was saying and forget about the promises of God and, and decided to, to trust in himself and to just, you know, uh, lean on on his own understanding and he goes down to Egypt, the Bible tells us that he was right there with Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And when he decides to leave Egypt and decides to go back to trusting God and go back to being right with God and go back to following God's plan, the Bible tells us in Genesis 13, 3, that he went to the place where he had been at the beginning. Keep your finger there in Genesis 13. That's our text for tonight. But I'd like you to go to the book of Revelation real quickly. Revelation chapter number 2. And this reminds me of a, of a church in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, you got chapters 2 and chapters 3. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to seven churches. And for most of them, he's rebuking them for uh, being backslidden, for sinning in their lives. And in Revelation chapter 2, I'd like you to notice, let's just go ahead and begin in verse number 1. I want you to notice what the Bible says. 
Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. That's the Lord Jesus Christ described in uh, chapter number 1. Notice verse 2. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. But notice what he says in verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Notice because thou hast left thy first love. And he says to them, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. And here's what you need to understand. Wherever you leave off with God is where you will have to start back up with God when you decide to get right with God. Let me say that again. Wherever you leave off with God is where you will have to start back up with God when you decide to get right with God. People will come to a church like Verity Baptist Church and they'll hear me preach all manner of things and I'll get up here and preach about the fact that you ought not be fornicating and that you ought to get married before you have a physical relationship and that we should not company with fornicators and that you should leave this church if you're going to live in fornication and if you don't leave or you don't get right with God, we're going to throw you up. And I've had people get up in the middle of service and leave and get upset and get mad and send text messages to me or text messages to my wife or emails to me or whatever and and tell us how mad and how upset they are. But you know, after a while, and here's what I found that's great about being in one place, you know, now for five years, over five years that we've been here, it's good because we've been here long enough to see some of those people come back. They go out into the world. They go out into Egypt. They, 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 they go out uh, and, and, and sow their, 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 their wild oats or whatever it is that they're doing out there. And then when they finally decide, you know what? I, I want to get right with God. I don't want to live like this. I, I need to get back to church. They come back down. But you know the first thing they've got to deal with is fornication. I mean, exactly where you leave off, whatever it is that upsets you. You say, I'm going to quit that church because he wants me to go soul winning, or I'm going to quit that church because he wants me to quit drinking, or I'm going to quit that church because he wants me to quit fornicating. But when you decide to come back, you have to deal with that exact issue. And Abraham had to go right back to the exact place. And here's what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus. He says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent. He says, and do the first works. You know, one of the saddest things I've seen in ministry is you reach people and they get saved and they get excited and they're here on Sunday morning and they're here on Sunday night and they're here on Wednesday night and they can't get enough preaching. They can't get enough fellowship. They want to go soul winning. They want to do everything. But then you watch them get cold and they go from three to thrive Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night to what we used to call when I was a kid growing up to they become a smo. A Sunday morning only. And it's like, what happened? You know, they used to go soul winning. They used to read the Bible. They used to tithe. They used to give. They used to be on fire. And it's like, well, well, what happened? And here's what happened is they got backslidden. Here's what happened is they quit trusting in God. Here's what happened is they decided, I'm just, you know, I, I, I'm going to quit doing that. And I'm gonna, but here's what you need to understand. When Abraham decides to get right with God, he has to go right back to where he used to be. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent. See, some of you need to get back to how you used to be. You need to get back to the first works. 
need to get back to how you used to read the Bible, how you used to memorize the Bible, how you used to spend time in prayer, how you used to be faithful to the things of God, how you used to be faithful to salt winning. Because here's what you need to understand. When you come up out of Egypt, it's not like Abraham can say, chapter 12 never happened, Egypt never happened, I'm just going to keep going on for God. No, no, no. When he decides to get right with God, he has to go back to where he used to be. And he goes right back. No, notice Notice what it says there, verse 13, uh, chapter 13, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 13. Look at verse 3. And he went on his journey from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning. It breaks my heart in ministry. So one, one of the prayers I have for a lot of our people in our church is that they would get back to where their tent used to be, to where their attendance used to be, to where their heart used to be. That they would remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works how they used to be. Notice verse 4 there. Unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also which went with Abraham had flocks and herds and tents. I want you to notice what happens here. Look at verse 6. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. Notice what happens in this chapter. Look, go, down to, go back to verse number 2. Notice what verse 2 says. And Abraham was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. In verse 5, we're told that Abraham had flocks and herds and tents. In verse number 6, we're told the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together. Why? For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. You know what I've noticed? is that a man and a woman will get married and they'll decide, you know, you, I'm, I'm choosing you for life. You're my partner for, for life. And, and, and they start off in this, in this thing of marriage. And, you know, life is hard. I remember the first year and a half that my wife and I were married. We, we didn't have a dining room table and we ate on the floor. And for about a year and a half, we ate on the floor because uh, we didn't want to go into debt, and we wanted to just save up the money to buy the things we needed, and it just wasn't a huge priority for us. I remember when we finally saved up, I think we saved up $300, we went down to a store, bought ourselves a little dining room table, and my wife made that first meal, and I, there was something in me that just wanted to kind of sit on the floor, you know what I mean? Because you've been doing it for like a year and a half, so I, it felt weird to sit at a table and, and, and eat. Maybe we should have been missionaries to Japan or something, I don't know. But you know, and, and, and here's what I've noticed. Uh, a couple will, will get married, and they'll struggle, and they'll fight together, and the, you know, and the in-laws get involved, and they'll fight with the in-laws and defend each other, and they'll fight with this, and they'll cut spending here, and they'll do this, and they'll do that, because they're starting out, because they're, because and they got to kind of fight, and it helps them, and it unites them, and you know what happens? They start making some money, and they start getting comfortable, and now they're living in a nicer house and a nicer cars. And here's what I've noticed. When people start getting a little prosperity, now, now they're not fighting together. They're just fighting each other. I've noticed in churches. Yeah, I, remember, I mean, I'm, and I'm not trying to offend anybody here, but I remember when we started Verity Baptist Church and we were meeting in our living room and on a Sunday night we had cake and ice cream and we had seven people show up and we were like, woo, seven people are here. And, th- you know, those days, I mean, the spirit was sweet and, and, and it was nice to, to fellowship and we would go out there and we'd knock doors and, and people were excited and nobody was fighting, nobody was upset because, you know, it was just us against the world. And we were fighting the world, and we were going. But you know, you start getting a nicer building. You start getting padded chairs. 
You start having staff, and you start having this, and you start having that. You know what I noticed? People stop fighting the world, and they start fighting each other. And what happened with Abraham and Lot is that while they were fighting the world and while they were just trying to survive and while they were stepping out by faith and while they were just trying to say, God, I don't know how you're going to do this. I don't know how this is all going to work out. You know, while they were doing that, everything was fine. But as soon as they started making a little bit of money, as soon as they started having a little bit of prosperity, as soon as things started going well for them, all of a sudden they're not fighting the world. They're just fighting each other. And they're going against each other. One of the worst things that could happen to a church is they start getting too successful. One of the worst things that could happen to a marriage is it starts getting too successful. One of the biggest things that destroys people in relationships is just prosperity and wealth. And I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to prosper and and have those things. But, you know, sometimes I wonder if God kind of keeps us lean because he knows we can't handle those things. Notice what Abraham does, verse 7. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abraham's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelled in the land. That's the problem. They were fighting each other, but they were fighting each other in front of the world. People were watching them and saying, look at these two go at it. They serve the God of who? While they're fighting, while they're having church split. Look at verse 8. And Abraham said unto Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. Notice what he says. For we be brethren. He said, look, we ought not be fighting. We're brothers. We ought not be fighting. We're brethren. And here's what I want you to say. If you're writing down notes, you wrote down, Abraham returned to the place where he used to be. But I'd like you to write down the statement. Abraham regarded others better than himself. Notice what, what right with God Abraham does. Because remember in chapter 12, we saw what backslid and Abraham did. Do you remember what backslid and Abraham did? Backslid and Abraham decided to make decisions that benefited him financially, even if it meant sinning and going against the will of God. Backslid and Abraham, if you remember, said to his wife, if I take you down to Egypt, you're, real, you're a real nice-looking lady, and they might kill me for you, and I don't want to die for you, so why don't we lie about this thing and say we're not married? Backslid and Abraham was looking out for number one. Backslid and Abraham was not willing to lay down his life for his friend or for his wife. Backslid and Abraham was all about me, and I've got to take care of me, and I've got to be concerned with me. But right with God, Abraham, notice what right with God, Abraham does. Look at verse 8. And Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, notice what he said. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And here's what you need to understand. Abraham was, had seniority here. Abraham was the uncle. Abraham was the one that God called. Abraham was the one that God blessed. It would have been fine for Abraham to say, you know what, Lot? We don't need to be fighting. Why don't you go over there And just, you know, let's stay away. But Abraham decided, I'm not going to be selfish anymore. I'm going to esteem other better than myself. And he said, Lot, you go ahead. You decide. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. He regarded other better than himself. Keep your finger there. In Genesis chapter number 13, go to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter number 2. You got... Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians, you can find 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter number 2. I'd like you to notice verse number 4. Verse number 4 completely describes what Abraham is doing here. 
Notice what he says. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, he's not, he's not saying, like, don't look at your own stuff and look at other people's stuff like covetousness. He's saying, don't be consumed or worried or have your attention only on your own things, but look out for other people. Notice, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of other. Notice what he said in verse number three. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. That's humbleness. Notice what he says. Let each esteem other better than themselves. And here's what you need to understand. There is nothing that will make you be more like Christ than when you decide, I will prefer other, I will esteem other better than myself. Notice verse 7. He's talking about Jesus. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 8. He said, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every uh, uh, things in heaven and things of earth and everything under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Go to the book of John just real quickly. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I just want to show you something uh, real quickly and then I'll make some applications. John chapter number 13 and I'd like you to notice verse number 34. John chapter number 13 and verse number 34. There is nothing. You say, what can I do to be like Christ? What can I do to show the world? We've been talking a lot on Sunday mornings about this idea of works, you know, that they might see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven, is a theme that we've been talking about. And you may ask, well, what, what are those good works that I could do, that someone could see, that someone could identify, that someone could look at, and they would glorify God as a result of what I'm, I'm doing? What is that? Are you there in John 13? Look at verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. Now, you may look at that and say, well, that's not a new commandment. I mean, God told us in the Old Testament to love one another. Here's the new part, as I have loved you. He said, Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. I want you to love one another. And people say, well, that's not new. He's, he's like, but here's the new part. I don't want you to just love one another. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Supreme sacrifice, supreme love. Now, notice verse 35. By this... By what? By loving one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have loved one to another. See, you know, the world looks at us and says, those people aren't followers of Christ. And it's not because of anything other than this when they see us fighting and bickering and arguing. And they look at us and they say, aren't those supposed to be the ones that have the answers? Aren't those supposed to be the ones that are humble and lowly in mind and esteeming others better than themselves? Aren't those supposed to be the ones that would say, you know what, we're having problems and I've got seniority and I can just make you do something but tell you what, I'm going to treat you better than I would treat myself. If you go there, I'll go that way. I don't have to do that a lot. But I want, see, you know what happens when Abraham gets right with God? He's no longer selfish. He's thinking of others. He's esteeming others. He's regarding others. And the Bible says that if we love one another the way that Christ loved us, by this shall all men know that we are his disciples. And here's the honest truth. And, you know, if you were honest with yourself, you would know that this is true. We never get into trouble when we're trying to do the best for someone else. You never get in trouble at work 
You never get in a fight with your spouse. You never, you kids, you never get in trouble at home when you're trying to do the best thing for someone else. Your mom or your dad never comes down the stairs with a belt getting ready to give you a whipping and say, saying, I told you not to share those toys with your sibling. That doesn't happen. Your wife never gets mad, you know, because you decided, you know, that we were going to go to the restaurant she wanted to and not the restaurant you wanted to like we've done for the last 10 times. That never happens. We never get in trouble when we esteem others better than ourselves. You know when we get in trouble? When we are looking out for ourselves. And Abraham, in chapter 12, was backslidden, and he was looking out for number one. You know, the sad thing is there are some wives in this room right now that their marriages are failing because everything is about I need what I want. And there's no idea of we're a team. Some marriages in this room are failing because there are some husbands that it's all about me. I make all the rules. And listen to me, I think men ought to lead, and I think men ought to be the leader in the home. But look, you need to learn how to esteem others better than yourself. You need to learn how to look at your spouse and say, I'm here to try to help you. I'm here to try to love you. Could you imagine what would happen in your marriage if you were just sold out to this idea that I'm going to do everything I can to help my spouse succeed? And then your spouse was sold out with the idea that I'm going to do everything I can to help my, 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 my spouse succeed and make sure they get what they need and make sure that they have all the things that they need. Could you imagine what would happen in your marriage if both of you were just deciding, I'm going to do everything I can to esteem my wife, to esteem my husband, to esteem my children, to esteem my co-workers better than myself? This is what real Christianity looks like. See, look, I, I preach all about standards, and I preach about the way you ought to dress and you ought to dress right, and I think about the things you, ought to, you, you, things you should watch or things you shouldn't watch on TV, and I don't think you ought to watch garbage on TV, and I don't think you ought to listen to garbage on TV, and I think we need to be separated. But when you get down to Christianity, you know what it's about? It's about how do you love others? Because that's what, that, that, that's how they'll say, that's a disciple, that's a follower of Christ. There's someone different about that. See, at your job, they should say, there's something different about so-and-so. And when they get right down to it, they'll say, you know what's different about so-and-so? Is that he's not looking out for himself. When everybody else is stabbing everybody in the back and it's a dog-eat-dog world, that person is just trying to do what's best for others. And we see this in the life of Abraham. Number one, he returned to where he used to be. And number two, we see that he regarded others better than himself. Look, go, go back to Genesis chapter 13. Look at verse number 10. Genesis chapter 13 and verse 10. Now, we're going to deal with Lot next week. So we're not going to talk about Lot tonight, but we're just going to read some of the verses. But I want you to notice the contrast to, to Lot. Because here's the problem with Lot. Lot went down into Egypt. And he came out of Egypt, but Egypt never got out of Lot. And Lot didn't get right with God. And Lot stayed selfish. And Lot stayed self-centered. Notice verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes. That was the first mistake he made. He should have bowed his head and prayed. But he lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as a garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves as, as the, the one from the other. Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward 
Sodom and the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. We'll, we'll develop those verses next week. Notice verse number 14. And the Lord said unto Abraham, after that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes and look from, thine, uh, and, and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. I'd like you to notice verse 16. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. You say, what's going on here? Well, if you remember when God first called Abraham in chapter number 12, in fact, just turn back to chapter 12 real quickly and look at verse 1. Remember when, when God first called Abraham, he gave him what we today refer to as the Abrahamic covenant. I want you to notice in verse number 2, he said, And I will make of thee a great nation, I will bless thee, and make thy name great, that thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, in chapter 13, and verse number 16, God is basically renewing that covenant with Abraham. He says to him, I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. You say, well, why is, what, why is God renewing the covenant with Abraham? And here's why he's doing it. Because between the covenant in chapter 12 and between the renewal in chapter 13, Abraham got backslidden. Abraham went down into Egypt. Abraham had a lapse in faith, had a lapse in God, was, was leaning upon his own understanding. That's why I think it's funny. And, and, and God says, okay, Abraham, you're going to come back. And God said, you got to do a couple of things, Abraham. Number one, I need you to return back to where you used to be. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent. Number two, Abraham, I need you to quit being so selfish and start regarding others better than yourself. But when Abraham does those things, then God comes down and renews his covenant and his relationship with Abraham. And, it is, and it's interesting because all throughout the Bible, you find this concept of eternal security. It's not like Abraham messed up and went down into Egypt and God's just like, I'm done with you, Abraham. Let's see what Lot can do. I mean, that's what these people who say they can lose their salvation... You know, God is this God of just like, once I cross that line, he's done with me. You know, but here's the thing. Abraham was able to come back to God, and you know what God said? Nothing's changed, Abraham. I still have a call on you, Abraham. I still have a plan for you, Abraham. He renewed. Abraham renewed his covenant and his relationship with God. Go to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. If you open up your Bible, just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. Psalm 51 if you remember David, we've been studying the life of David on uh, Wednesday nights going through the books of First and Second Samuel. If you remember David, we haven't got to the story yet, but David ends up having a major sin in his life with Bathsheba. He commits adultery, and then he takes it further, and he kills Uriah the Hittite. I want you to notice this entire chapter is a chapter where David's getting right with God. But I just want you to notice one verse. Look at verse number 10. The Bible says, create in me a clean heart, O God. And I want you to notice this word, renew a right spirit within me. You know that you and I serve a renewing God? You know that you and I serve a God that if we would simply come back to him... The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You know that God, when he decides he has a plan and he has a purpose for you, he doesn't quit on you when you quit on him. 
And if you would simply come back and say, and say, God, can you still use me? God would say, Abraham, I've got the same covenant. Abraham, I've got the same plan. Abraham, I've got the same idea that I had for you before. And God renews the covenant with Abraham. Go to the book of Lamentations. You can find the book of Isaiah. You're there in Psalms. Just start going a little bit towards the end of the Old Testament. You find the big book of Isaiah. You've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. I'd like you to notice Lamentations chapter number 3. Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 23 is one of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible. I would encourage you to underline these verses or highlight them in your Bible. Memorize them. Le- Lamentations chapter number 3 and verse number 22. We sing a song in our hymn book that are written from the words in, this, in, in these verses. Lamentations. You got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Lamentations chapter number 3 and verse number 22. The Bible says this. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. Notice verse uh, 23. They are, notice, new. They are renewed. They are available every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. See, some of you, you say, I spent some time in Egypt, pastor, and I'm trying to, to get back, you know. I, it, maybe I didn't physically leave the church, but in my heart, you know, I, I've been kind of in the world. I've been kind of in Egypt. You say, what, what should I do? What would God have for me to do? The first thing God would have you to do is to get back to the first works, to get back to how things used to be, to get back to reading your Bible like you used to read your Bible and pray like you used to pray and give like you used to give and win souls like you used to win souls. Be faithful to church like you used to be faithful to church. And God would want you to start esteeming others better than yourself. And looking at every opportunity and trying to think, what can I do in this situation? What can I say in this situation? How can I react in this conversation in a way where I'm esteeming others and I'm putting others first and I'm having the mind of Christ and bringing myself down and putting others and treating them better than myself? And then God would want you to renew that plan and that purpose that he had for you. Look, you don't have to live with this shadow. You don't have to live with this cloud on you. We serve a renewing God. The Bible says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And look, you don't have to sit there and say, well, I don't know. Would God have me back? Would God, you know, it's, it's, it's people call me and say, Pastor, I want to get back to church, but I just don't know if I should go, you know, and, and what are people going to say? And I'm thinking to myself, people are going to be excited to see you. People want to see you. God wants to see you. Get right with him. Amen. Wants to see you renewed. Wants to see you back. And Abraham comes back. He says, God, I spent some time in Egypt. And God says, well, There's going to be some things you're going to sow from that. We talked about that last week. You sow and you reap. But God says, let me renew this covenant with you. Let me renew this relationship with you. God says, I'm not done with you. And I'd like to say to some of you tonight, God is not done with you. God's not done with me. God wants to renew us. God wants to say, you know what, I had a plan for you, and I've got that same plan for you, and we're going to do it, and it's okay. You fell, but you came back. And we see in this chapter, we see in this story, go back to Genesis chapter 13. We're we're almost done tonight. I wasn't planning on preaching very long because we have our fellowship tonight. But we see in this chapter a renewed Abraham. But I want to just throw in one more thing. We've been talking about works lately. I want you to notice something. Someone said to me one time, You know, you should pray, but you should put some feet to your prayers. And what they meant by that is don't just pray and ask God for things, but then do something to try to get that accomplished. 
And that's a scriptural thought in the Bible because here's what Jesus said. He said, he said, knock. He said, seek. He said, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. He said, ask. He said, seek, and, and you shall find, you know. And, and I want you to notice what happens here if you make your way back to Genesis 13. And I want you to notice verse number 14. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto Abraham, after that lot was separated from him, he said, notice what he says. He said, lift up now thine eyes. Now, now look, here's what you need to understand, okay? You want God to tell you to lift up your eyes and see the things he wants you to do. You don't want to be overstepping your boundaries and lifting up your own eyes. Remember what Lot did? Look at verse 10 again. And Lot lifted up his eyes. The problem is God never told him to lift up his eyes. God never told him that the well-watered plains of Jordan were for Lot. Lot got his eyes on something that wasn't God's will. And you and I need to be careful about those things. People get these ideas in their head. Well, God called me to do this, and God wants me to do this. And I think, and it's like, no, 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 no. God never told you to do that. You just lifted up your eyes and decided you liked that, and you wanted that. But here we see Abraham, and the Bible tells us that God said to Abraham, look at verse 14, and the Lord said unto Abraham, after that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. He said, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. He says, look at what I've promised you. Look at what I've given you. Look at the things that I said can be yours. Notice verse 16. And I will make thy seed in the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. But I want you to notice verse 17. You know that God never says look without later on saying this, arise. Look at verse 17. He said, arise, walk through the land, in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, and I will give it unto thee. You know what God said to Abraham? Here's what God said to Abraham. Abraham, I want you to look up and look, at, look as far as you can. I'm going to give you that land. Abraham says, wow, that's great, God. And then God says this, but here's the thing, Abraham. I need you to get up and actually walk the land. And he said, wherever you walk, that's what I will give you. Now, here's the thing. Abraham must have walked a long way because God gave him a lot of land. Abraham must have walked for a while, and I think he walked. He, he walked his entire life. He, that's why he never settled down. He was a pilgrim his entire life, because I can't settle down. If I settle down right here, God will only bless me up to here. I'm going to spend some time here, and then I'm going to uh, grab all my stuff, and I'm going to move a little more, and I'm going to move a little more, and I'm going to move a little more, because the further and further I go, the more God will bless, the more God will give. But here's the thing. If Abraham would have just said, you know what, God? I think we're good right here. God would have said, well, I guess that's all you're going to get. You know why some Christians just do nothing with their lives? They lift up their eyes and they say, God has all this land for me, but they're just not willing to be mobile. They're too burdened down in this world. And they're just not willing to take one more step. You know what? At Verity Baptist Church, I was talking to a real estate person this week, and we were talking about buildings and stuff. And, 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 they, and I was telling him, you know, we got a 4,200-square-foot building, and we need at least a 10,000-square-foot building. And he says, well, here's the thing. You know, you may want to start looking at options to purchase buildings. He said, but let me ask you a question. Is your church done growing? And I'm just like, what kind of question is that? Is our church done growing? Our church ain't never going to be done growing. I mean, there's always going to be people to reach, always going to be doors to knock, always going to be people to preach the gospel too. I mean, I understand, you know, what he was asking and what he was saying, but here's the point. We, if God says, if you keep walking, I'll keep giving it to you. I'll keep blessing you. I'll keep going. He said, I'll give you anything you're willing to work for, anything you're willing to walk for. 
Anywhere you're willing to go, if you're willing to stay mobile, if you're willing to stay a pilgrim, if you're willing, Abraham, to not settle down, I'll give you all of it. You know what's wrong with most Christians, most churches? We say, you know what, God, I think right about here, this is good. You know, at Verity Baptist Church, it'd be easy for us to say that. We got about 150, 160 people coming on Sunday mornings. We got 85, 90 people coming on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. The bills are getting paid. The staff is getting paid. You know what, God, I think we're good. And you know what God would say? I can't bless you anymore. If you're not willing to rise, if you're not willing to go, if you're not willing to to stay a pilgrim on this earth. Here's a question I have for you. Have you just decided, you know what, I think think this far, I think this is good enough. I think I'm just going to settle down right here. You're no Abraham. You're no Abraham. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.